This is the Curious Crow Podcast. I'm Barrett Crow. Well, we finally made it. Here we are, part three, the finale of the Coke versus Pepsi Wars. And I truly hope you've had an enjoyable journey on this uh, cluster fudge, cluster fudge of historical information regarding uh, two of the most well-known brands in the entire world. It's been a bumpy ride, but it's only going to get weirder. So here we go into part three. Let's dive right in. So if you recall where we left off in part two, Coca-Cola has now finally got the ability to start making some money off their bottling. They've bought back a lot of their bottling contracts or renegotiated them. And out of the almost half a million vending machines they have in the United States, they're starting to replace them with newer machines that can make change. So that's allowed Coca-Cola to raise their prices, which is what was just crippling them. So, you know, Coke now is instead of always five cents, is settling somewhere between six and ten cents depending on what part of the country you're in and this is good for coke so they're feeling very positive about this in addition to just cranking out the advertising which pepsi has been doing as well they're working on getting those machines replaced so pepsi is still focused on trying to be a multi-faceted multi you know denomination for lack of a better word mega corporation and coke decides that it's going to try to take its advertising to a new level while they're trying to replace all these machines. And so, on July 8th, 1971, Coca-Cola debuted, well, what's considered to be one of the greatest ads in television history. Yes, I'm, I'm not kidding. It was a simple enough advertisement. It was just a group of people. They're assembled on a hilltop, and they're just singing a very simple song. But what was different about this ad is that those people that were assembled there were of many different nationalities, different races, different skin colors, different dress. The ad didn't focus so much on Coke, but it focused on attaching Coke to a very positive, universal type message. So take a listen. Here's a public domain copy from the Library of Congress. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me. So this simple ad has time and time again been voted as the most popular and influential ad in television history. And not only was this ad in blazing bright color, which, you know, wasn't incredibly common for advertisers at the time, but it was also, for you super nerds, the very first advertisement to be shot in high definition. So that's cool. And it also became the very first commercial that featured an extensive collaboration between a uh, recording industry, you know, record company, record labels, and, uh, and an advertising agency or a, or a Coke, you know, company like Coca-Cola. The commercial became so popular 
that people started calling in radio stations wanting to hear the song. Well, I mean, the, well, the song was actually there for the ad, so the Coke folks and the recording folks started thinking, and they rewrote the song to remove the Coke references. They added more verses, and then they recorded it for radio. And the first group that recorded it for radio uh, was known as the Hilltop Singers, which is a very obvious reference towards the commercial, right? And within two weeks from being released, it had reached number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number five on the Billboard Easy Listening charts. So later down the road, not too far, an established band that was called The New Seekers, and they were a real band. They weren't just formed to make a Coke commercial. The New Seekers uh, recorded their version, and their version sold 96,000 copies the first day and 12 million copies total. Their song was number one in the UK and uh, number seven, can you believe that? Number seven in the U.S. in 1971 and 1972. It also became a gold record in the U.S. So Coke is riding really high on this success. Like, man, this commercial was a home run. I mean, heck, our commercial, even though it's not our song, is being played all over radio stations across the country for free, and people associate it with Coke. So Pepsi goes, well, what are we going to do? Well, I suppose we will go ahead and stick to our plan of international domination <laughs> by uh, striking a deal with America's favorite, favorite international company, conglomerate, and country at that time, the Soviet Union. So in an unbelievable agreement, Pepsi, yes, Pepsi-Cola, would now be available in the USSR and would be the first foreign product that is sanctioned for sale in the Soviet Union. So the USSR would begin importing and distributing Pepsi in exchange for Pepsi importing and distributing Stolichnaya Vodka. Oh yes, good old Stoli. So for those of you who have spent a very not enjoyable morning talking to the porcelain god, virtue of Stolichnaya Vodka, you actually have Pepsi-Cola to thank for that. I'm serious. You can't make this up. What I find hilarious is that two of the biggest cultural stereotypes ever literally played out in real life. You know, the fat, spoiled Americans traded a sugar bomb soda to the alcoholic Russians for hard liquor. <laughs> I mean, at least that's how the rest of the world saw it. But of course, Pepsi didn't care. They now owned basically the Russian soda market, and they got an international brand under their roof. Again, that's what Pepsi's trying to do. Coke, well, they're still doing extremely well. They're riding high still on the hilltop success, but Pepsi is starting to make very rapid gains in supermarket sales, which equates to market share. Pepsi now sees an opportunity to strike at Coke, so they put themselves over the top in the supermarket war. And how did they do that? Well, in 1975, they launched the now very famous Pepsi Challenge. This is the taste. This is the test. Pepsi versus Coke, the Pepsi Challenge. Pepsi. And all across America, more people pick Pepsi. Pepsi. Time after Pepsi. time after time. Pepsi Cola. Oh, what a time. It's gonna be Pepsi now. Taste what Pepsi's 
In supermarkets around the world, Coke and Pepsi went head to head in a blind taste test. And what would happen is there'd be a little table there set up in the supermarket. Shoppers could free of charge sample two different sodas and declare which one they liked better. Now, Pepsi started launching ad after ad after ad after ad to promote this because Pepsi proclaimed that they were the overwhelming choice, the overwhelming drink of choice in a blind taste test in supermarkets across the country. And they started cranking out the commercials to back that fact up. They started doing this in 75, and apparently it worked because by 1977, Pepsi was the most popular drink in supermarkets. So the Pepsi Challenge had tons of ads. Oh, man. And uh, people just really liked it, liked the concept. They enjoyed the advertisements, and people loved getting free drinks in the supermarkets. And even though I was very, very young at the time, because this challenge went on for a few years, I can still remember people lining up and wanting to do this in the supermarkets, and there were literally lines to take the Pepsi challenge. Now, Coke, they rebutted with lots of advertisements saying it wasn't true and that people really liked Coke or what have you. But the Pepsi challenge proved to be very, very strong for Pepsi sales, propelling them to the head of the supermarket uh, market share. And uh, Coke kind of like was reeling a little bit from this. And in fact, we're going to see just how impactful this challenge really was because 10 years later, what went on in the Pepsi challenge is what's going to prompt Coke to do what is actually just unthinkable. We got the Pepsi challenge going and, and that has really emboldened Pepsi to get out there and think they have Coke on the ropes. And they, so they just start dropping crazy money in their international plan for world domination, as Pinky in the Brain would say. And so Pepsi goes ahead and merges or buys, however you want to say it, Pizza Hut in 1977, Taco Bell in 78, KFC in 86, 7-Up also in 86. Think about it. If you want guaranteed sales of your product, of your syrup, what better way to do it than to buy up all of these fast food companies and then have the fast food companies buy your product. I mean, it's a no-brainer. So now pretty much every Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC out there is serving Pepsi and 7-Up and buying it from Pepsi because they're all part of one big happy family. So if you've always wondered that when you go to the different uh, fast food chains, why your particular fast food chain does not have your particular soda of choice, it's very likely owned by a large megacorp who is scratching its own back with its own product. So your cries for, hey, man, why can't we get Coke? Or, hey, 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 why can't we have Pepsi? They will fall certainly on deaf ears. So we're rolling through the 70s now with the Pepsi challenge going strong. Coke has its hilltop success, as we mentioned. And Pepsi is taking on more and more mergers. Coke just cranking out the ads. That's, that's what they know how to do. But what has happened here in the mid-70s, which is going to impact both Coke and Pepsi very soon, is that there is a giant sugar shortage. And not only this, but this shortage leads to hoarding, international sugar hoarding. So the price of sugar starts to go cray-cray. It all started with uh, the Soviet Union, who produced a very, very large amount of sugar via beets, because you can produce sugar via sugar cane or sugar beets. But they had a very long drought for, for a couple of years, and it really devastated the sugar beet industry in the Soviet Union. And then you combine that with just the gosh darn good luck of Mexico and Latin America 
having issues with hurricanes, which really damaged and wiped out the sugar cane industry for that time. So now sugar was getting very hard to come by in the mid 70s. And as we know, both Coke and Pepsi dramatically need sugar for their drinks. To make matters worse, the Soviet Union also saw this as an opportunity to hurt America since they were such a large exporter of sugar. And this is definitely during the Cold War. So they started hoarding what little sugar there was and making sure they distributed it to their own country instead of exporting it as usual. So imagine a huge shortage, which drives up prices, combined with intentional hoarding, and the sugar market was not faring very well. On the opposite end of the spectrum, corn was so plentiful in the United States that uh, it was being subsidized by the government. In fact, some farmers were being paid not to grow corn, uh, so the price of corn was like incredibly, incredibly low. So I'm not sure exactly who figured it out, but some egghead figured out that, hey, we can manipulate corn and take sweetener from corn. And that's so much cheaper than sugar and such a, an easier process. Thus, in the mid-70s, around 1974, high fructose corn syrup started becoming a thing. And you start to see a lot of products switch over to high fructose corn syrup because it is so much cheaper than sugar and easier to get. And I'm sure that you've heard a lot about high fructose corn syrup, but you're not exactly sure what's the difference between that and regular sugar. So in another Curious Crow famous sidetrack, let's find out about high fructose corn syrup. Squirrel! Both regular sugar and high fructose corn syrup contain fructose and glucose. That's the two parts that make up sugar. Regular sugar contains 50% fructose and 50% glucose. So it's an exact equal mix of these two types of sugar molecules. Whereas high fructose corn syrup contains 55% fructose and only 42% glucose. And all you math wizards out there say, Okay, that doesn't equate to 100%. And you are correct. It doesn't because it also contains water. So your regular sugar, you know, obviously is little granules or crystals. And high fructose corn syrup is a syrup. And how it works is it processes corn into corn starch. And then that is turned into syrup. The reason why they make that is because glucose by itself isn't sweet enough. So they jack up the fructose content to 55 to 42 instead of 50-50. Because if you made the syrup version and it, you know, with the dilution with water, it's not going to be sweet enough. So they add enzymes, which converts part of the glucose to fructose. And again, who's smart enough to figure this out? I, I don't know, but the finished concoction is 24% water. There you have it. So regular old sugar is 100% sugar. High fructose corn syrup is a solution that is actually 24% water as opposed to regular sugar, which is 0% water. Another interesting thing about fructose and glucose the two sugar molecules is that in what you would consider regular table sugar the molecules are bound together in high fructose corn syrup they actually float beside each other so you say to yourself self 
Why do I really care about high fructose corn syrup compared to regular sugar? Yeah, it might be cheaper, but I mean, is it really that much cheaper? And to your answer is, yeah, it really is. Because you don't understand how expensive and complicated it is to produce regular old table sugar. Some people say it's bad for you and not healthy. And their argument is that when the, the liver is overloaded, it takes fructose and it turns fructose to fat. Now remember, high fructose corn syrup has a much higher percentage of fructose as opposed to glucose. So even though they have the same calorie value, you know, high fructose corn syrup and regular sugar, high fructose corn syrup has a higher glycemic index. In 2010, they did a study at Princeton and they gave rats, good old rats, man, they, they test everything. They gave rats either unlimited sugar water or unlimited high fructose corn syrup. And the rats with the high fructose corn syrup gained more weight, especially around their belly, even though they consumed the same calories as the other rats did. So this is the problem though with this argument. It has not been able to be reproduced in humans. So the rat studies where the rats get fatter on high fructose corn syrup, they can't replicate that in the human trials. So you have a lot of people that say high fructose corn syrup is bad for you because of, uh, you know, your liver is going to go for the fructose first, but then you have the other side that says there's been nothing proven that it's worse for you. It's the same amount of calories in both things, and if you moderate both things, it makes no difference. So the jury is definitely still out on that, but as you look around and see in most products you find, high fructose corn syrup is the overwhelming majority of being used in products. I'm so sorry. I got sidetracked. It won't be too long before Coke and Pepsi both realize that high fructose corn syrup is the future, well, at least their future for their bottom line. But in the meantime, they go back to doing what they are very, very good at doing, pumping out those advertising bucks. And Coke, well, they had the famous Mean Joe Green commercial in 1979, again, consistently rated as one of the top commercials of all time. If you haven't seen it, look it up. That's one I'm too terrified to play on this podcast to get sued over, but YouTube will gladly show it to you. And in 1982, Coke took a page from Pepsi's playbook, and they actually bought Columbia Pictures. Yes, Columbia Pictures, and they started doing product placement with Coke in some Columbia Picture movies, basically copying Joan Crawford's method from Pepsi, and that chugged on along for a few years until, for whatever unknown reason, Coke sold to Sony... 1989. So bye-bye Columbia Pictures. So here we are. We're in the, the late 70s, getting in the early 80s. And in World War II, Coca-Cola had a 60% market share of all the, all the sodas in the world in World War II time. By 1983, they had less than 24%. Pepsi is outselling them crazy in supermarkets. Just crazy. And that's a big part of that market share is the supermarkets is where Pepsi was dominating. So Coke said, well, we got to do something to stop this, especially the supermarket decline. And so Coke's CEO, Roberto Goizueta, instituted top secret Project Kansas. That was the name of it, Project Kansas. And what was Project Kansas? What some people consider to be one of the phallus curse words of all time these days, new Coke. Big bucks, no whammy, stop! Stop it, oh, so on April 23rd, 1985, New Coke 
was introduced to the world. What was New Coke, you ask? Well, my rebuttal would be, where the hell have you been on this planet for the last 20, 30 years? But just in case you're a young whippersnapper, Coca-Cola basically changed their formula. The same formula that they'd had since the beginning of time, you know, less the cocaine and, you know, cut the caffeine back a little bit, but pretty much the same formula, Coke completely revamps it. And not only did they say, here's an alternative, they go, this is Coke now. If you don't like it, I got two words for you. And uh, they have a press conference on April 23rd, 1985. Of course, the <laughs> the reporters of press conference were fed questions by Pepsi. And you're like, of course they were. I mean, these two guys hate each other. And so the reporters, they're like, don't you think this is a dumb move? Don't you think the customers are going to hate it? Why would you do this to your customers? Yada, yada, yada. All from Pepsi. And the CEO of Coke, Roberto, he described the flavor as bolder, rounder, and more harmonious. And when they asked him if, you know, what prompted this decision, did he have any regrets on or any worries, he said, quote, it's one of the easiest decisions we've ever made. Well, easy decision or not, there was an immediate insane level backlash from the release of Nuco. I mean, if you didn't live through it, it's really hard to even describe it to you. People, and especially people in the South, were hugely upset by this. They saw Coca-Cola as part of their life, as part of their childhood, as their heritage, and taking it away from them, especially without permission, was just a sacrilegious thing. How dare you change Coca-Cola? And I always laugh because I looked and looked for this online and couldn't find it, but there was a, a comedian that my mom even joked about all the time too and i remember who came on and i'm sure this joke was one you know revamped or rehashed by a hundred different comedians but he said i want to know the guy who just woke up one morning and go hmm i'm in charge of coca-cola we're the number one selling beverage in the whole world and have been for the last hundred years i've got an idea let's change the formula <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I always giggle every time I think about that. But, I mean, that's literally what happened. So the results of Project Kansas was they released a new version of Coke called New Coke, and it replaced Coca-Cola, bam, immediately. And the New Coke flavor, most people described it as, as quite a bit sweeter than the original Coke and more like Pepsi. So if you think back to the Pepsi Challenge, Pepsi did this basically nationwide research showing that people preferred the taste of Pepsi over Coke, and the supermarket sales were starting to prove that. So what did Coke do? They pretty much made Coke taste like Pepsi. They thought this was going to be a giant feather in the cap for Coca-Cola. The sales were going to skyrocket. Everyone's going to love it. It's amazing. It's genius. But instead, they had riots, boycotts, people just insanely angry. They received in the first few days over 40,000 phone calls, uh, complaints, letters. They, they were getting around 1,500 calls per day of people complaining that Coca-Cola had changed the formula. They even had psychiatrists listening in and psychologists listening in on some of the phone calls. And they described it as it's like the people were discussing the elimination of Coke as being similar to like losing a family member. So the psychiatrists were saying this person feels like they've literally lost a member of their family that you've betrayed them by replacing Coca-Cola. They even had some lines you could call to talk to people, to vent your frustrations, and to, to have basically therapy on Coca-Cola's dime over this. 
Even Fidel Castro criticized the decision, so that should tell you how bad it was. This was causing Coca-Cola lots of issues. They wanted to stick by and push it through and force it through, but they ran into problems because their international bottlers did not like this at all, did not like New Coke, and said, we're not, we're not doing it. We're not carrying New Coke. We're not bottling it. We're not selling them. And Coke's like, well, yeah, you, you are. And they're like, well, no, 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 we're not. And so Pepsi sees Coke kind of on the ropes here. And so what do they do? Oh, they launch some just great, great commercials. What's the matter, Wilbur? They changed my Coke. Something wrong with it? I know, but they sure changed it. Coulda asked. What coulda? I stuck with them through three wars and a couple of dust storms, but this is too much. Guess something big made them change. Right, big. Right big. Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. Still could have asked. And not only did they have ads like that, they also ran a full-page ad in the New York Times criticizing Coca-Cola for what it had done. So one month after New Coke has been released, the Coca-Cola executives are already arguing over this and they are torn on if it still needs to even exist. The bottlers are super concerned. Coke has advertised for years and years and years that they're the real thing. And now it's not the real thing. The real thing is long gone. So they argue, they squabble. Coke's in a real bind. But at least they had enough sense to realize it ain't working. July 11th, 1985. Now remember, New Coke launched in, in April, right? I mean, think about this. New Coke hit the international press conference on April 23rd, okay? We're in July 11th, so that's May, June. That's less than three months, 79 days. So 79 days after the release of New Coke, Peter Jennings, the world-famous journalist, interrupted like the number one show at the time during the daytime, General Hospital, which had every housewife in America furious, but he interrupted General Hospital with the only thing that would make a furious housewife calm down, which was that Coca-Cola's coming back. <laughs> so they weren't that angry that they were interrupted for that since they got the good news that the original Coke was coming back. So you think about the journalism and how things go this day. I mean, that was such a big deal that they interrupted that show to let everyone know that Co the original Coca-Cola was coming back. The reason people were so upset about this whole process is a lot of people, especially in the South, saw this as an affront to the South, insulting the South. Pepsi's headquarters was in New York, and Coke has always been, you know, in Georgia. It was a Georgia thing. And when the Coca-Cola did all their testing on if new Coke was going to work or not, they pretty much did it all up north. Southern people were convinced that this was a plot against the South. And in fact, there are actually people who were convinced that this was a communist plot being backed by Cuba, considering Coke's CEO at the time, who instituted Project Kansas, had a Cuban background. So Coke was up to its eyeballs, and the only thing they could do is bring back the real thing, which they did. For those of you who are waiting for the real thing to make a return engagement, wait no longer. The old formula Coca-Cola is hitting the shelves of San Antonio this weekend. It's called Coca-Cola Classic, and cola lovers are saying the old taste is it. Now, they still did not get rid of Coke, New Coke, that is. 
So they started having both of them. Coke existed as the new Coke, at least. It wasn't called new Coke anymore. It's just called Coke. And the original formula, which goes back to the eight, you know, late 1800s, is now called Coca-Cola Classic. So we have from 1985 until 1992, we have Coke and Coca-Cola Classic, just to be super confusing. Coca-Cola Classic is outselling Coke by gangbuster numbers. And finally, in 1992, Coke wises up and they go, well, this is just irritating people and people are just nonstop complaining about it. So now Coca-Cola Classic remains Coca-Cola Classic, but Coke becomes Coke 2 instead of Coke or New Coke. It's now Coke 2, which is really dumb because someone in Coca-Cola was was tasked to come up with a creative name for New Coke since it's no longer new and they came up with Coke Two great rocket scientists there. And then it went along until January of 2009 when the classic moniker was dropped. And that's where we are today with just Coca-Cola. Now, at the time of New Coke, guess <laughs> this, this hasn't aged well, has it? But uh, one of New Coke's biggest spokesmen was Bill Cosby. So Bill Cosby was really, really pushing for New Coke, man. Let me tell you, he actually got so mad because he, he claimed that backing New Coke actually hurt his career and hurt his credibility. And of course, I can think of some other things that may have hurt his career or credibility today, but that's, uh, we're not going to go into that. Uh, yeah, and uh, Max Headroom, of course, if you remember Max Headroom from the 80s, that's uh, that was a big advertising push that was done. Max Headroom, catch the wave. It's what Max <laughs> Headroom was promoting out there. So there were tons and tons of conspiracy theories about New Coke and Coca-Cola Classic. And if you really want to have a good time, go into YouTube and take a look at some of those. They're just amazing. People are convinced that Coke did the whole thing on purpose to give themselves more publicity, more credibility. It was all a giant marketing scheme. Uh, there are people that say the whole thing was a sabotage from internally on Coke. There are other people that say Pepsi orchestrated it. I mean, there are more conspiracy theories on Coke and New Coke than there are on 9-11 and JFK combined. So if you're interested in that, it, it is really enjoyable, some of the YouTube videos out there, because the people are very adamant and very passionate about what they believe the true deal is concerning Coke. Well, New Coke and or Coke 2 was officially gone in 2002. So shockingly enough, it went made it all the way from 1985 to 2002 because it was available in some shape or form on different people's product lines, although it was very, very, very hard to find and very rarely sold anywhere. And they did bring some of it back in 2019, um, those of you who watch Stranger Things, it's the number one stream show on Netflix this last year. They produced 500,000 cans to celebrate Stranger Things because New Coke is featured in Stranger Things. And so you could actually get a can of New Coke, obviously produced here in the modern era, but the New Coke formula, 500,000 cans were produced for Stranger Things. So if you're dying to try a New Coke, you have a chance. I guarantee it's somewhere on eBay and you have to decide what is the price you're willing to pay to taste New Coke. Personally, I would rather spend the money to taste Dr. Pemberton's Coke with all the giant amounts of cocaine, sugar, and caffeine, but merely 
merely for scientific purposes. So we're back to the Pepsi-Coke war on who can out-advertise who. And Pepsi decides it's going to spend a bunch of big money. Again, after the whole new Coke thing, Coke-Coke classic sales are up big time. Coke's been in the news nonstop. Even though it's bad publicity, it's publicity. So Pepsi turns to advertising. So they make this really cool contest in 1992. And it's called Pepsi Number Fever, right? And this was done in the Philippines. And what it would, basically you would do is you would collect uh, bottle caps and the bottle caps or the or had different numbers on the top of them. And then they would do a drawing for the numbers. And the grand prize of all of it was one million pesos. So you could get a million pesos in the Philippines if you hit the grand prize. And that's about $40,000 in 1992 money. Um, is a million pesos. You go, well, that's a big deal. That's not a life changer. But at the time in the Philippines, that's 611 times their monthly salary. So that is kind of a big deal in the Philippines. So they're doing the drawing and stuff. And on May 25th, 1992, they drew the number 349. Well, here's the problem. Pepsi had revamped this contest because it was so successful and they had brought it back a, a second time. And they didn't realize that they had already distributed 800,000 bottle caps with number 349 on it. <laughs> yeah, 800,000 bottle caps with number 349. And so all of those people should have gotten a 1 million peso grand prize in their mind. Now, some of these had a code, like a security code on it, but a lot of them did not. The old ones did not have that code on there. And so Pepsi announced on national TV, it was announced on the news, number 349. And uh, had they had to cash in those 800,000 caps, that would have been 32 billion dollars, which obviously Pepsi could not really want to pay that, right? And they tried to fix it the next morning in the newspaper. They go, no, no, the real number was 134. We messed up. The number was 134. But the people in the Philippines were not buying it. They wanted their $40,000. So Pepsi was in trouble because people were pretty, pretty angry about this. So what they did is they offered 500 pesos, which is $18, as a goodwill gesture to anyone that, that had the error, as they called it, 349 bottle cap. And so 486,000 people took the goodwill gesture of $18. And that cost Pepsi $9 million. So remember, this contest, they plan on spending 40 k and now they're at $9 million. But the rest of the people that had the 349 most of them go, no, 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 no. You lost a million pesos. So they formed this alliance called the 349 Alliance. And they were having boycotting Pepsi, organizing countrywide boycotts. They're having protests, like all kinds of stuff. It was crazy. And this was hurting Pepsi's reputation and sales in, in the Philippines big time. And then in February 1993, there was another protest from these 349 Alliance group. And a uh, someone bombed a Pepsi truck. Yeah, seriously, a Pepsi delivery truck. And it actually killed a teacher and a five-year-old kid that were nearby when the truck exploded. So now this is getting really serious. In May, three workers got killed by someone throwing a grenade into a Pepsi warehouse. So these people with 349 were not screwing around. All in all, 37 Pepsi trucks got burned, pushed over, stoned, uh, damaged, and it was just out of control. There were conspiracy theories all over that country as well as to what's going on. In fact, Senator Gloria Arroyo, she said the other bottlers were doing it on purpose to hurt Pepsi and harm Pepsi and take advantage of their reputation. And one of the guys who did the bombings, one of the truck bombings, he said Pepsi paid him to frame the protesters. So the protesters looked like terrorists in this whole thing. So it was all just insane, insane. 
insane. So what happened is Pepsi then offered those people $380 each as opposed to 18. The people that were left, uh, they got that as a judgment in court, $380. And the huge bulk of those people took it. Some held on and said, no, we're doing it. We want 570 each. They appealed it and uh, they got their 570. And then the people that were left that still said, nope, 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 we're, we're, we're going for this. It eventually went to the Supreme Court in the Philippines. And they said Pepsi was not liable to pay anything to anyone. Interesting. So here's how it worked. You could have took the $18 up front and just went on living your life. Or you could have been part of the protests, the terrorist activity and whatnot that involved with at least five people dying and got your 380. Or you could have kept spending attorney fees and doing whatnot and still suffering for years and years and years and dealing with it. Then you might have got 570. Or was it worth it? Don't know. But this tarnished Pepsi was all over the news and it hurt Pepsi internationally quite a bit and especially in the Philippines. So if you ever hear of the 349 incident, now you know. So all this advertising and, and whatnot has really has set the stage now for what is called the Cola Wars. And the Cola Wars is what came out of the 80s and 90s and still to this day, to be quite honest. And that is when Pepsi and Coke started using as many celebrity endorsers as they possibly could to plaster everything on TV. Once Pepsi was done with, with the quote-unquote terrorist activities connected to them in the Philippines, allegedly, they have decided to move on to just pumping money into celebrities as does Coke. So what has Coke done? Well, Elvis, in 1977, Coke sponsored his tour, his last tour, so that was good. You, you of course, hear references to Coca-Cola a lot in pop culture. Think, think about it, the Beatles song, Come Together. They say he shoots Coca-Cola. Uh, obviously, a reference Coke may or may not have wanted, but anyway. Lola by the Kinks. It's a great song. We're not going to discuss the topic of that or anything along those lines, but take a listen to Lola by the Kinks if you like it. But there's a line in there that says, You drink champagne and it tastes just like Coca-Cola. C-O-L-A, Cola. Anyways, so you find it coming up in pop culture everywhere. In fact, Coca-Cola was in movies, as we mentioned with Columbia Pictures, and then after Coca-Cola Kid, The Gods Must Be Crazy features Coca-Cola quite a bit in the plot, actually. Good movie, too, if you've never seen it. And then they even did a thing with the space shuttle in 1995 where they were testing carbonated beverages being drank on the space shuttle or not, and if syrup and carbonated drinks could actually be mixed and work, you know, in outer space. Again, an outstanding use of our tax dollars. Can we make a Coca-Cola soda fountain in space? The answer is yes, but... I don't even want to know how many millions or billions of dollars that cost. The 1989 song by Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire, great, great, great song, mentions rock and roller cola wars as some of the events that have gone on during the during that time, too. So Coke is rocking with Mariah Carey, Nicki Minaj, Paul Abdul. Pepsi had Michael Jackson, pretty big name during that time. And there's a very famous incident where he was doing a Pepsi commercial and the pyrotechnics went wrong and, and caught his hair on fire and burned him uh, pretty severely so that kind of ended the relationship of michael jackson and and pepsi cola but pepsi also had ray charles britney spears pink beyonce j-lo david beckham christina aguilera i mean they had some big names and my favorite the spice girls if you remember they had a song generation next which was basically a pepsi commercial it was a decent song though 
So they're all just firing back and forth on different celebs and different ways to spend money to lure you in. And of course, think of the great movies in the 80s and 90s, Back to the Future, Home Alone, Wayne's World, Fight Club, all had Pepsi advertising. Remember Back to the Future when Marty first lands in the 50s and he asks for a Pepsi free? He goes, hey, if you want a Pepsi, you got to pay for it. That's what the diner guy tells him. We're up to the 2000s, pretty much in modern day times coming up. In 2011, Coca-Cola has removed the classic label from all of its products to where it's just back to good old Coca-Cola. And, you know, Coke always brags and boasts that only two executives know their formula. And those two executives never travel together on the same plane or at the same time to make sure the formula remains safe is revealed and blah, blah, blah. Well, whether that's true or not, it's probably not, but I mean, it sounds good. Certainly good media. And another little interesting fact about Coke is that the bottlers are allowed to sweeten the drinks for local taste. So if you go to some places, you may find Coke to taste slightly different if you travel the world based on, of course, the local water that's used, as well as they're allowed to sweeten to the standards that they feel are good for that area. Speaking of which, remember our talk about high fructose corn syrup? Well, in 1980, Coke took the plunge and they started making Coca-Cola with high fructose corn syrup. And Pepsi followed in 1984. And all of those conspiracies Conspiracy theorists out there, again, will tell you that the whole new Coke thing was a big part of it, a cover to mask the taste for the transition and all of this nonsense and stuff. But anyway, high fructose corn syrup has been around since 80 and 84 in Coke and Pepsi, respectively, which obviously has helped them with prices. According to Beverage Digest in 2008, Coke had a 42.7% market share and Pepsi had a 30.8% market share. And Coca-Cola dominates the market in the entire world, except, interestingly enough, for Central Appalachia, North Dakota, and Utah. Another oddity is that in the city of Buffalo, Pepsi outsells Coke two to one in Buffalo. Internationally, Pepsi is the number one seller in Oman, India, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, the Dominican Republic, Guatemala, and pretty much most of the larger Canadian provinces. In India, Pepsi is the third most popular drink behind Sprite and Thumbs up. And that's another rabbit hole that we don't have time for. But basically in 1977, Coke withdrew out of India because it did not want to share parts of its formula with stockholders and corporations over there that were minority holders. So they completely withdrew out of India. So India developed its own soda to take Coke's place called Thumbs Up. And so (laughs) Thumbs Up was very popular in India for a very, very long time. Of course, Coke being Coke and trying to compete with Pepsi eventually bought Thumbs Up and, you know, owned that. And it was reported in 2012 that coca-cola is available in every country in the world except cuba and north korea and if you don't know why it wouldn't be in cuba or north korea you really shouldn't be listening to this podcast and good old coca-cola think about it back in dr pemberton's days when it was coke flavored kind of like how now all vodkas are flavored back in my day vodka was vodka flavored but anyway i digress now good old coca-cola in different markets in the around uh, the united states and around the world comes in the five following variations cherry lemon vanilla lime raspberry citra black cherry vanilla black coffee orange life like what is life flavor but that's coke with stevia which i've never been able to find i would love that but anyway supposedly it exists 
ginger, orange vanilla. So we have orange and vanilla, but also orange vanilla as one flavor. Coke energy, cinnamon, Coke with coffee, cherry vanilla, and starlight. And when asked what is Coke starlight, they have responded by saying it is space flavored. So if you ever wondered what space tastes like, Coke starlight is for you. Hunch.com, which is no longer with us, but the Business Journal and Hunch.com had reportedly done a lot of research into Coke and Pepsi drinkers. This was market research. And Hunch.com reported the following, that Coke is more likely to be drunk by a college graduate and someone who speaks more than one language. A Coke fan is a sushi fan and someone who's tried caviar. A Pepsi fan is someone who likes classic American snacks such as Cheese Whiz and Spam. Coke drinkers read the New York Times, Pepsi drinkers USA Today. A Coke drinker is more likely to own a passport. A Pepsi drinker likely hasn't been on a vacation in over six months. Coke drinkers are typically early to events. Pepsi drinkers are on time or late. Coke drinkers are far more likely to have visited an art gallery than a Pepsi drinker. Coke drinkers love CSI. Pepsi drinkers, everybody loves Raymond. Again, take that research for what it's worth, but there you have it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You've heard the long and storied history of these two brands, and I'm sure they're going to continue to make history as we go on and on and on, fighting each other, cutthroat, sometimes just good old innovation, sometimes one outlasting the other. But the history is definitely interesting between these two, and I do look forward, not really, to what we will find out in the future about Coke versus Pepsi. But the bottom line is they basically are very, very similar drinks. Pepsi is sweeter, and it contains citric acid, and Coke doesn't. Pepsi has more sugar, more calories, and more caffeine, but just barely. And Coca-Cola has a little more sodium than Pepsi. Other than that, we're looking at two very, very similar drinks. And the fact that people are so polar opposite over the two drinks, that itself is a fascinating study in American psychology. So I really hope that you have enjoyed this series on Coke versus Pepsi. Ask you to please like and comment and definitely share. Share, because it's like, that's what helps us get the word out about this so I can keep making these. And please subscribe on the your podcast server of choice, podcast provider, so you can hear more Curious Crow podcasts. And remember, November 2021, that's the last stats we've got, 166 billion Pepsi's market cap and Coke's market cap, 245. So as of today, Coke's leading the way, but who knows what'll be tomorrow. Love you all. Take care. Take action. Create happiness. Go get yourself a nice Coke or Pepsi. I love you no matter which you like, and so does everybody else. You've got the Curious Crow, and as always, I'm Barrett Crow.